Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen, and today I'm talking to Sarah McCaulden. Sarah now works as a money mindset coach, which means she basically helps people sort out their relationships with money. And that's a really great place to be, but it was a long and complicated journey to get there. Today we're chatting with her about her ups and downs, including addiction, isolation and a suicide attempt, and how she recovered and got to where she is today. So, well, I lived in, I lived in America. Uh, I, I was born here in the UK, but I lived in America um, I moved there when I was 10 and I, I came back, I did my GCSEs and then I went back to America and, 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 and moved back here when I was 24. But of course, in America, I was, uh, you know, an older teenager. I was drinking a lot. I, I Once I got my license, I was smoking pot and drinking and actually driving, um, which was really uh, not smart. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I, I ended up um, having, I, 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 I got ill and I had to take some medication um, when I was about 18. And that medication was called Percocet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is basically a combination of paracetamol and uh, some, it, it, the stuff that heroin is made from. I think mm-hmm. they call it op- oxycodone or something like that I don't I don't know the exact name um 
and so I so I struggled I really struggled with that I I um I I became addicted to that I I would go to the doctor and say that I'd lost my prescription to get more I would I changed doctors to get more I did all of the things to get more of that stuff and it really had a really negative impact on my life and um I I I actually worked for an airline at the time. I worked for United Airlines. Mm. Um, it was my very first job. And I worked at Dulles Airport, uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, my 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 drinking and, and doing all of that stuff got me, got my flight benefits suspended. You know, I mean, I I was just a total absolute mess when I, when I was at, you know, 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. And I started, so I started going to university late. Once once my flight benefits were suspended, I, it wasn't any fun anymore. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, okay, what can I do? I'd really like to go to university. So I started uh, going to university in 1999, <laughs> seems ages ago <laughs> now. And um Whereas my peers went started going to university in 1996, so there was mm-hmm. quite a gap there for me. And um, I met these two guys there who went to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, and I reached out to one of them. I, I, I it's such a long time ago now that part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly why I, I reached out. I reached out to them actually I do um my I came over I came over to um the UK to visit my mum and I um was going to go up and see my grandmother this was in August 1999 and uh I ended up I just couldn't even think straight without drugs and I didn't know anyone here or anything so I so I left without going to see my grandmother and she died like Mm. within a couple of days that you know after my return and I remember my mum calling me and saying don't feel guilty about it or anything like just but she's my my grandmother was dead and I did I I couldn't I felt awful I'd had a really close relationship with her growing up and and I think that that had some kind of effect on me. It did take me a, a few more months to really sort to, to really sort myself out. But very shortly after that, I um, I've uh, uh, once I discovered those two guys. I one of them took me to a, a meeting, mm-hmm. and I actually ended up spending the next three years clean and sober. Got my degree, moved back to the UK, and. Um, and relapsed Mm. um and uh I and I within a few months I I moved back here in September 2002 and within a few months I had tried heroin I had tried crack I my I met this guy who became my boyfriend and he was a crack addict and 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 that was it really within a few months of me using regularly i i really i noticed in myself that i was not who i was you mm-hmm. know like that 
that confident person who I'd become by not using had like was slowly kind of disappearing and I noticed that when I think he he said something to me which was like quite degrading and you Mm -hmm. know and I just and I just took it like and it was I never would have done that if I if I had been in my in my in the mind I had before I started Mm -hmm. using um and it was all downhill from there what was the was there a trigger for because you said you were sober for three years mm. and I'm sure anyone listening will go well, what happened did something happen to make you go back to using well I think that's a really interesting question uh, when I look back um I think that it was I think that it was moving moving mm. um but not just moving it, it was it's more like not knowing anyone not having any connection with anyone and um and I found that connection in people who were using I mm. I started working actually for the probation service um when I re- when I returned and um then I th- you know I was really happy I was earning lots of money and you know I could see my bank account <laughs> or you know was the, the amount of money in there was increasing and it was really good and I decided that I was going to get another job to to help me get more money um and uh so I got a bar uh, got a, a job in a bar you know within a couple of days I, I people at that time of course you you could smoke inside the bars and everything mm. and I went home in my clothes stank of cigarettes I hadn't smoked for all of that time either and you know within a couple of days I tried a cigarette uh, again and uh, you know, it, it didn't take me long to start buying packs of cigarettes. And, and um, I, I think just, I used that way, you know, like how uh, if you, you can use that kind of way, oh, do you have a lighter, mm-hmm. you know, all of those sorts of things to kind of connect with people to start a conversation. And, and it, and it was a bit like that. Mm. No, I can definitely, it's the social smoking thing. It is a real, if you're in a place where you're alone and you are feeling isolated, yeah, it completely makes sense. You go like, okay, I'll just ask for it. Because it really did used to be that way. I remember when I was growing up, if you were smoking, you could chat to people and get to know people. Yeah. From there, you say you then met someone who was using crack cocaine and it developed into an addiction. What was kind of your low point of okay, this is fully blown addiction, and I have a problem. Um, so I guess at the end of of two thousand and three, um, I'd been um, working, and so basically I could only hold down a job for more, for six months or less mm-hmm. um, at that at that point. Um, and what sorry why why is that is that did people find out that you were using or was something else happening I, yeah I I'm well I I think that was uh, so, sometimes that was the reason and mm. and the other it, and the other thing was that I just I just I, I wasn't reliable I mm. just wasn't reliable and um and I also you know in some in some of those jobs I I uh you know I I thought to myself I'm gonna get I'm going to get caught here doing something that I shouldn't be doing and I, and I'm going to get, 
and I'm going to get fired. So I don't want to get fired. I'll quit. But I was, you know, I was working for, uh, I was working for temp agencies. I, you know, I wasn't even, I, I couldn't get a job. I also knew that I couldn't have any friends. I mean, mm. I, I knew that if I, uh, it, well, it was just impossible. <laughs> I had one thing on my mind, which mm. was getting more drugs, basically. And not, you know, if I, if somebody wanted to befriend me, I, I knew that I would take advantage of that friendship. Mm -hmm. um and so I just didn't <laughs> uh you know I I uh I did have um a sense of who I wanted to be and I did still have a sense of um you know I I, I really don't I, I'm going off on a tangent here no it's, it's um, interesting but right but you know like how we kind of think of addiction in more in moral terms mm -hmm. And it's really, it's just really not like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that you're a bad person, you know, or that you're morally corrupt or, or, or anything like that. It, it, it's, it's, some, it's something different. But I, I knew that I had a problem when I went, I, I went up to Scotland with my, with my boyfriend's parents, to my boyfriend's parents' house mm -hmm. uh, for uh, around Christmas time and uh and I'd been using every day and I'd also started using heroin by that point and uh, I think I'd probably been using heroin for about six months mm -hmm. and this was every single day <laughs> and it was the first day that actually I hadn't had any and I was ill I was ill um I was sweating and I couldn't sleep and it was like a horrible nightmare and I knew that I I knew that I was addicted and I mm -hmm. and I called I actually called my mum and I I and this was in 2003 and mind you I didn't actually stop using until 2007 mm -hmm. and uh, I told her and I called my dad and my dad told me not to tell him <laughs> he he said and my dad lived in America because um, he uh, he's a we moved over there because of him and, and mm -hmm. uh, um, he said he didn't want to know what drugs I was using. Um, and of course, I mean, I looked ill, right? I, I, I looked ill. My skin was like gray mm -hmm. and I was very malnourished. <laughs> yeah. You know, I hardly ate anything and, uh, and all I was doing was smoking crack and, and, and heroin how did your mum react? Because I know your dad said he just didn't want to know. How did your mum react to it? Well, my mum, of course, was really um, worried about me. Mm. And I remember her I remember her saying, I don't remember if she said it then, but at some point she said to me, you know, these drugs are poison, Sarah, and mm. you should never want to take any of them again. And... I could understand what she was saying. I really could. And I knew that that's how I was supposed to behave, in quotation marks. Um, but I, but my body, like, needed them. <laughs> there was, you know, it was like, um, it was like I was out of control. Yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't see a way out. I, I couldn't see a way out. I think that's the thing that really 
baffles people and loved ones is they're looking from the outside and they're like, surely you can see that this is terrible. Like it's having awful consequences, but they don't understand that you can't just stop or kind of see rationally like, yes, this is not doing a good thing for me. And there's always something that keeps you going back to it. What, if if you could explain it, what what were the drugs kind of giving you at that point beyond fulfilling the addiction? Because I think initially you said you were feeling isolated and, you know, it was a form of connection. Did it continue for that or was it an escape? Uh, I think that's a really interesting question. And really it, addiction, uh, you know, it's like it stole every good thing mm. about me from me. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it it st- it stole my ambition and uh it was not a good time it, it was not a good time in my life mm-hmm. a- at all and i i remember actually but you know there was a time when i was too afraid to go and get wait, uh, too afraid to go and get the drugs so my mm-hmm. boyfriend did it and then you know i went with him a couple of times and then i could then i went on my own to the dealers you, you know and it just kind of progressed like that but I remember walking and I li- I was in King's Cross living there and I would go to the dealer as there's sometimes dealers down at Euston or up in Angel. Mm. And uh, I remember walking and looking at the concrete on the floor and be, and, and part of my mind was like, you know, I really don't want to be doing this. And the other part was, could you know it was like my phys- the my physical body was controlling everything mm. it mm. wasn't my it wasn't like my rational mind i mean i was also i mean doing that many drugs you know doing all of that crack it and it made me it made me paranoid like mm. i i uh i was so you know we were so paranoid everybody who was doing it in in the place you know we thought at times that you know, there were like police on the roof and they were going to jump through the windows <laughs> and arrest us all like just create. I mean, that's just crazy. It, it, but that's what, but that's what it, that's what it did to my mind. Mm. I think you said that you kind of had that realization of, you know, there's a problem, but then the addiction continued um, after that. What was the point then when you, decided okay I need to get help what was the turning point well I guess I I I always knew that I needed help and even when I when I first started in that work at at that bar Mm -hmm. um I met a guy who was clean and sober and I just thought how serendipitous is that but it was his and actually it was his best friend who was the crack addict which is really interesting and anyway so I had I had a a relationship with him uh, I don't mean like a sexual relationship mm-hmm. but I just mean like a a friendship and uh, or, or I don't know if it would even be that but anyway he 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 went to um Alcoholics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous and um and of course I'd been in the 12 steps in America so mm-hmm. it wasn't anything new to me um and so I so I would go along to meetings sometimes, and um, 
but I could never, I could never, I could never stay. I could never stay there. There was, I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't leave. And and actually, the turning point came in two thousand and six when I again I went up to Scotland, um, but I went with my mother, um, who and I'd been lying to her, telling her that I was clean and sober, and I had I hadn't been mm-hmm. at all. And uh, anyway, I, we got up there. We flew up there, of course. So I could I couldn't take any drugs with me on the plane, and I was ill. I was really, really ill. So ill. It was. I had to leave. I got a plane back the very next day. Um, I changed my ticket, and I, and I went, and I just had had enough. I'd had enough, and I thought, well, there's only one way to end this. And I tried to commit suicide, mm. and um, because I just could not see a way out at, at all. I, I could not. I, I did not have the faith in my ability to stop because I tried so many times. I was so ashamed going back to Cocaine Anonymous, constantly saying I was relapsing, um, and and I didn't know how else to help myself. I'd been to a a day, you know, like I didn't go into residential rehab or anything, but I did go to like a day treatment program for six weeks in um, 2005. And uh, I think everybody in that program relapsed Mm -hmm. (laughs) by the end of it. Um, And, uh, and I just thought, I can't keep living like this. Um, and then of course I survived that and I still couldn't, um, you know, get, get the nerve to go back to cocaine anonymous because Mm -hmm. I, I just, uh, I just felt like, um, I, I felt judged. I mean, this is, this is the state of my mind. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. the reality of the situation, but I felt like everybody would be judging me and that nobody, um there uh I think I I thought that people were sick and tired of seeing me show up saying that I'd relapsed and I was sick and tired of going there saying the same thing Mm -hmm. um so actually I chose to go to a different I chose to go to an AA meeting um near Portland Road uh in London and uh and I met this um girl called Catherine and she was about my age I think I was 26 or 27 at the time. And um, she became like my best friend. And mm. uh, and I really think my relationship with Catherine helped me to stay clean and sober. So from then on, did you remain sober? I remained sober for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got, I probably got about nine months clean and sober. And then mm-hmm. in May... May two thousand and seven, I uh, I I relapsed again. Mm-hmm. I went back to my boyfriend's, even though I hadn't been staying there for nearly a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I asked I asked him to go out and get some drugs, and he went out. And I sat I sat there waiting for him to get back. And I called. I ca- I went through a list of people on my phone. <laughs> who were in the 12 steps and literally nobody answered their phone at all. Oh, and, uh, and, you know, it was like, I, I don't know. I don't know why I did that, but I did. And I, I actually got in touch with a friend of mine who 
eventually uh, uh, who was from New Zealand I'd met him in Cocaine Anonymous Mm -hmm. and he he answered his phone and he's he was like look I'm on my way back meet me at Euston and you can you can come back to mine but uh, unbeknownst to me he also wasn't clean and sober um uh and uh anyway I um I actually didn't end up meeting him what Mm -hmm. I did was my boyfriend got back and I and I did the and I did the drugs and then I went to see him and I pretended like I hadn't, you know, mm-hmm. like I was. And so now I now I was lying, pretending like I was clean and sober when I wasn't. And uh, it just, it, you know, I, I almost got right back into it. Um, but but this guy who was from New Zealand, he, he said to me, um, why don't you I, I'm going back to New Zealand in a in a few months and I think it was a couple of months. And he said, why don't you come to New Zealand with with me? And uh, so I applied for a visa to go to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I, um, I got uh, I, I got the visa within about 24 hours and I and I and I went there. So that was in that was in August 2007. I still wasn't properly clean and sober and. Um, I, but I had space between using, so I didn't actually get physically addicted to mm-hmm. um, the stuff again. Um, and when I when I arrived in New Zealand, I I didn't know anyone who did those hard drugs, so I couldn't get any, even if I wanted them. But I didn't want them. I I, I knew that I went there to get away from that, and. Um, but I did drink and I did smoke pot um, and for about three months. And then uh, I was with a guy who I'd met, I'd met, you know, I traveled around the North Island a little bit. And anyway, I was in Auckland and he came to pick me up from the place I was staying at. And anyway, we went back to his house and he pulled out some, what they call pee, which Mm. is crystal meth. And I just bur- I just burst into tears and I said, you know what, you just have to take me home. I mean, he brought out a pipe and everything like how I used to smoke crack. Mm. And uh, I just thought, you know, nobody is here to help me. I-, I-, I don't know if I would survive. And it's just not it's just not worth it. And I want to I want to live a better life. I'm sick of living like this. So he, so he did. He 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 drove me back to my house and and that was it. I I I stayed clean and sober. I think we had a party at our house in August 2008. I and I and I and I drank alcohol at that party. And but between you know that time in December and and August I hadn't you know I'd been clean and sober. And that time in 2008, that was the very last time. Mm. I was just done. I was done with it. What do you think it was that kind of gave you the power to go, I am done, I'm not going to do this anymore? What was what was it that made the difference between, you know, the times before when it didn't work and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't overcome this? Well, I, I mean, I th- I think that when I was actually physically addicted, I do think mm. the physical addiction actually had had a lot to 
had a lot to do with it but is it you know I mean how much does the mind how much does the mind play into the physical addiction I I don't know I don't know the answer Mm. um but I I was just determined not to go I mean it was hot like living all of that time in King's Cross was it was like a miracle that I survived it was a miracle Mm. that I survived really and I just thought, you know, like you've been given a second opportunity here and you've come all the way to New Zealand. And do you really want to fuck it all up again? Mm. No, I, di- I didn't. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have a good life. Did you go through any kind of therapy or any other recovery steps to get you in a better mental place? Um, I I did. Um, well, obviously, I did the twelve. I went to twelve step meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, the inter- <laughs> I think this is a really interesting point that all of that time that I spent going to twelve step programs. I, you know, I do think that without those, with without it. I wouldn't be here. I just mm-hmm. wouldn't be here at all. Um, but saying that, I wouldn't be where I am now if I'd continued to go to those meetings. Um, because, uh, you know, I used to hear, I used to go to those meetings actually in Chelsea at World's End and uh, I, I'd hear things like, oh, there's only sick people in this room and you know like if you don't if you don't want to go to a meeting you need to go to two meetings a day and I I did spend I did spend time doing that Mm. but I I stay I think that also had something to do with the fact that I stayed clean and so it was not surrounding myself with people who were who were like me Mm. when I was when I was relapsing how difficult I used to get really annoyed with people I was like you're not you're only my friend when I'm clean and sober (laughs) you know this was my thinking and and of course it makes absolute sense now right like I don't want to be hanging out with people who are relapsing Mm. that's not any good for um for my for my mental health well I mean I think now of course it would be different because I'm I'm just so much stronger than, than I was in 2008 2009 I mean, even I think I ca- I think I carried a lot of that shame and that guilt around for for many years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, I I think that breaking breaking free from f- from those meetings, I think th- those meetings can become uh, like a crutch, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they and. Uh, they say as well, you know, it's a bridge to normal living. And yes, I think in my case, it was a bridge. Mm. And now I'm over the bridge. I think it's interesting, the point you raised about kind of the guilt and the shame, because that's something that I think a lot of people who struggle with addiction still, you know, still suffer with that and hold that. How have you learned to move past that shame? Gosh, I I held on to that. I mean, the whole time I was in New Zealand, mm-hmm. I actually when I had when I had my son, my first son, 
Um, so they were so you know you got some choices of different things that you could have, and one of them was morphine. And I mm-hmm. said to her, even if I ask for it, if I'm in so much pain, don't give me any morphine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, I, I I actually had a an emergency cesarean, so I did actually have morphine. Mm-hmm. But that's beside the point. They somehow there was some kind of miscommunication. And they thought that I was actually a using addict, even though I'd been clean and off of heroin by that point for about three years. Mm-hmm. And they put a a bag like o- over my son's penis to collect his urine to without my permission mm-hmm. to check to see if he had heroin in his urine. Oh God! And of course, the midwife. I mean, I didn't know. I I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that this had been going on kind of behind the scenes at all. I I was informed um, by the midwife because I, I was in the hospital and, of course, there were doctors and nurses all over the place. And she came in and she was very apologetic. And mm. it I just felt really kind of vulnerable and mm. uh, like I was... Not you know like people didn't trust what I was mm. saying and and it really it really affected me and for for a long time afterwards, or well, you know I I used to think that my opinions didn't matter as much as other people's and mm. and you know that everybody was more important than me because or because I used to be an addict and. I remember I took my children to um, a like a parent cooperative over there. Mm. And I remember even one day I was uh, I was ill. I I was uh, I had some kind of tummy bug and I was Mm. and I and I vomited there. And uh, and I, I went outside to the car park and and one of the ladies came out and brought my stuff and I just burst out to her and I just said I used to be a heroin addict Mm. (laughs) like I'd been holding all of this stuff inside me and was like uh you know like when you go (laughs) when you see on the tv you know when people go to the church and they do their confession (laughs) you know it it felt it felt like that I I don't even I, I I don't even understand why I said that it just kind of it just came out like I like the vomiting and it was like it was getting rid of all of this subconscious stuff mm. that um and I just had and I had to tell I had to tell someone who 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 maybe wouldn't judge me and then of course after I told her I you know I was in my head about it all and like mm-hmm. oh my god she's gonna tell everybody else and you know and I, that was really anxiety producing because you just it, there is a there is a stigma around it like Mm. there is and and uh you know like I think the more that people talk about their addiction and stuff openly that the the more people can really understand like people who are in active addiction that that again it's not a moral issue Mm -hmm. it's they're ill they're ill yeah there is that feeling of complete judgment and shame still around addiction. How do you feel about your previous experience of addiction today? Are you still, do you feel like you're still holding on to any of that shame or 
has being more open about it been helpful for you yeah I do think that being open about it has helped me Mm. um and I think that um you know in 20 in 2017 for for me that was like a life-changing year so I'd been clean and sober for nearly 10 years Mm -hmm. um at that point and like I I knew that um I need I knew I was aware that I needed to work on my self-esteem I was aware that this kind of shame this kind of guilt all of all of those uh this lack of Mm self-worth was really affecting my ability to like be the person that I could be I mean I'd done I'd run in 2012 I I started running and I ran a marathon in that October and then I ran you know like I've I I ran a couple of marathons I've done some ultra marathons and I thought that, that that was really that really showed me that I have that I have something within me mm-hmm. that um that I not necessarily not necessarily that's different to to other people but that if I put my mind to something that that I can achieve it so I mm. so I already had that and you see I I I purposely ran that I ran that marathon that first marathon for a reason and uh it was to prove to myself so that was in 2012 I'd started using those drugs heroin and crack in, at the end of 2002 mm-hmm. so that was 10 years and I wanted to prove to myself that in that 10 year period oh yes I sank very very low almost to my death but I could also pick myself up and do something really amazing and and I did I proved that to myself in that year but still I I still had all of that guilt and shame and I and I think that really um showed up for me in the type of work that I was mm-hmm. doing in the the t- in the money that I was earning in the the thought processes that I had like my, like earning earning good money is for other people you know just like I had a thought when I was using getting clean is for other people I'm, mm-hmm. I can't do it um but I could and I did eventually um and so tw- in 2017 I felt like I was back I, I my back was up against the wall I I was doing a ma- I was doing a master's. I was studying professional s- studies in children's play. Mm-hmm. I was, um, you know, I was I had this uh, business all to do with that, but it wasn't earning any money. I mean, I was I was basically paying to do the work. I mean, it was the most ridiculous thing. Mm-hmm. I had a part time job working uh, for a charity. Mm-hmm. I wanted to to leave my husband. Me and my husband had a kind of awful relationship at the time and uh, a very toxic relationship. And I thought, I, if I don't change something, I'm going to be stuck in mm-hmm. this forever. And I've got no, I've got no choice. I need to do something different. And um, I started uh learning about personal development um it's you know i i i started i i actually started in a network marketing company although i didn't know anything about network marketing at the time and uh i also studied with bob proctor 
started studying with Jack Canfield and really learning about how my mind works mm-hmm. and how and, and and when I when I was studying with them I I thought to I I realized that you know I've 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 used this without like unconsciously like this is how I um this is how I stopped using this is how I how I trained to run the marathon this is how I trained mm-hmm. to run those ultra marathons that this is uh, you know, this is how I can train myself to uh, let go, let go of this this shame and and this guilt, and allow myself, like allow myself to to be amazing. Mm. So, what was the next step from that? Well, I I had a goal. I had a goal to achieve uh, a six figure income Mm -hmm. for myself because I knew that that would allow me to um, do, you know, it would allow me to, to, to leave my husband. It would allow me to be able to provide for my children the way that I want, you know, the way that I wanted to provide for them, which I just wasn't able to do, you know, paying for postgraduate studies, you know, uh, working in a, for a charity part-time you know mm-hmm. and and uh, I used my knowledge I I used it and I I um I earned I earned uh I did it I did a six I made a six-figure income in in 2018 and uh I just thought oh my god I more than 10x my income <laughs> <laughs> which is incredible right who mm-hmm. does that uh, and you know I I I knew that um if I, if you think about, you know, marathon runners, how many marathon runners are there? Okay. It's a small percentage. How many ultra marathoners are there? There's an even smaller percentage. How many people get themselves out of heroin addiction? Mm -hmm. That's a really small percentage. How many people earn six figures? That's a really small percentage. So I had kind of all of this, uh, information available to me that I, I've got this ability to, mm-hmm. to 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 push myself to that kind of upper limit, and uh, and there's always another limit, right? There's always another level to take ourselves and all of that. And and I really, I I just kind of like shed, <laughs> I shed all of this negative stuff, mm. and and it was just such an amazing transformation. I mean, I I still think the transformation is happening now um and and I think really it's a journey but I I feel like my mind I I I feel like I'm so much more aware Mm -hmm. um and able to see my potential but also through seeing my own potential from, from having the limiting belief of I can't I can't stop using the only way to stop using is for me to actually commit suicide I, you know, I can't, uh, I can't, you know, I can't run to then going on to run, running marathons and ultra marathons from thinking, making lots of money is for other people to earning lots of money. You know, all of these things, if I can do this, then everybody else has the potential to Mm -hmm. do this and, and much more. I mean, I think, it's all about like becoming aware and then and then allowing ourselves. How this is a kind of strange question, but how do you feel about yourself now? Do you recognize 
what you've managed to do because it is incredibly impressive and it's, it really shows resilience. Do you kind of believe that on a deeper level now, or is there still any kind of self doubt? I, I think that there. I think definitely, I there is self doubt, but I, you know, I also, I do rec, I do recognize that. I've I've trans I've utterly and totally and completely transformed my life. I mean, mm-hmm. if people met me now and I didn't tell them that I was an addict, you know, people wouldn't people would never people would never know. But I guess it, it, it's not it, it, it's not about that. It, for, for me, I. I see that we're we're all that we've all got this potential within us. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all we've all got this potential within us, and and self doubt can it can absolutely stop us. But if we're aware, I think we've got to be aware of the self doubt because mm-hmm. so, sometimes we're not even aware that that's actually going on in our minds, right? Um. So. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's definitely an interesting question. I mean, I don't have it I don't have it all figured out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no one does. You know, like I I uh there's still so there's still so much to to learn and mm-hmm. and and to do and I think like I, I've been on this incredible journey. I'm 43 years old and uh you know, I I'm I'm really grateful every day to to be here I I I recognize that you know I I could have ended it when I was I don't know how old I was 27 Mm -hmm. or 28 27 and uh I would never have had my children I would never have experienced what I could achieve and I've still got what 40 60 more years (laughs) um to live there's so much more that I can do with my life. I think that's such a powerful message. And I think if there's anyone listening who, you know, is at one of their low points, whether that is with addiction or mental health issues, what would you say to them? Or what do you kind of wish someone had said to you, me back when you were in your lowest point? I think that I would say that there is, that there is hope. I really felt helpless. I felt mm. hopeless. I felt uh, incapable, mm-hmm. and and uh, somehow I I uh, I stuck. I you know I I stuck with the right people. I I, I when I was in the depths and I and I was going to the and I was going to those meetings. Um, I learned to think about who I was hanging around with, you know, do, did I, uh, and eventually what, what happened to me was I felt like I was missing out if I didn't go to a meeting, Mm -hmm. right. Rather than feeling like I was missing out if I was, um, you know, if I wasn't going to use, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, that makes sense. Um, But yeah, but it took, it took, it did take time. and, And I think that, um you you've just got to um trust and 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 believe that you know life is a life is a journey and there are there are 
ups and there are downs and I know how difficult it is to to lift yourself out of that I mean look at that five whole years of of mm. of struggle and uh but I did bring myself out of that and 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 everybody everybody who's struggling now can also lift themselves lift themselves up in time If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, you can give the Samaritans and Ring on 116123. If you like Mentally Yours, you can also find us on Twitter. We're at MentallyYRS. We also have a lovely Facebook group, which is just called Mentally Yours. And if you really liked us, you could do us a massive favour and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. Uh, Helps us, you know, continue doing what we're doing. So please do rate and review and check back in next week for more Mentally Yours. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.